How do you bring the public and private sectors together? Welcome back to the show. This is B is for Business, where I, your host, John Jakubison, sit down with entrepreneurs, founders, and inventors, those who shape our culture and industries. Thank you for listening. I welcome a very special guest to the show today, Dr. Rick Fernandez. Rick began his career as an educator and collegiate basketball coach. After a few short years, others began to recognize Rick's ability to take leadership and make change happen. Rick began working his way up the ranks within education, advancing from roles as an assistant principal to a principal and then to a superintendent. At every level, Rick saw things that needed improvement and wanted to influence more change. This caused Rick to start the Path Forward podcast a show where he sits down with those embedded in education to discuss the challenges they're facing and potential solutions. Rick currently serves as a consultant, helping to bring innovative practices to education. It's a great episode, ladies and gentlemen. Sit back and enjoy. You make this rather snappy, won't you? I have some very heavy thinking to do before 10 o'clock. Well, today I welcome Dr. Rick Fernandez to the show. Dr. Rick Fernandez is the host of the Path Forward podcast, a show that focuses on innovation in education. But before we get to all that, Rick, I want to start uh, start out with where you started, uh, which is the education sector. So how did you get into education? Well, when you introduce me, it makes me sound like I'm about to give you some medical advice or, or take your cholesterol, <laughs> first of all. So yeah, I'm not that type of doctor. Um, <laughs> man, I wanted to be a basketball coach. And so in college, I played college basketball and uh, loved every minute of it. Had you know great success there. Had a great coach, Bob Marlin, who's the head coach at Louisiana. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. And quickly learned the road to that is, is tough and long and um as I was getting my master's degree in, and then I jumped into being a grad assistant, didn't want to teach that had no, no, that's not going to be for me. Right. Um, was forced to teach some classes as a part of my graduate assistantship and fell in love with it. And like, man, this is what I want to do. So immediately got certified and started teaching, coaching basketball. Um, then the rest is history really. And I had some great mentors along the way say, Hey, you know, you may be pretty good at, um, being an administrator, leading big groups, uh, maybe a district. And so just kind of worked my way up and been very blessed with some opportunities and to meet some great people and still have a lot of contact with, with mentors and teachers and other superintendents across the state, across the country now. Um, so that's, it was kind of by accident. It was more through sports than anything else. It was just sometimes you find your passion on accident, which is exactly what happened to me. When you first entered education as a teacher, what do you, and you didn't, you didn't go to school for education. So what was the steepest learning curve starting out as a teacher? Um, I think the, the rules on are how are we evaluated, right? Um, because it, it was clear to me as a player and as a coach um, and, and as, your, as a teacher, I'm responsible for 120 students, you know, 200 students, depending on my class load what's the measure of how well I'm doing? Um, and I've always done a good job of connecting with kids. So that was never an issue. Um, but I always was curious, like, I can't be 
this good, right? You get your 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 um, review and and your summative, and like everything was excellent. It's like that's not possible. Like I can barely, you know, this is my first year. Somebody's lying to me. So I was always curious is about how do I get better because I, I know this is not representative of where I'm at. I've got to, I've got kids that for whatever reason haven't learned, and if I'm responsible for that, I know there's some things I can do better. So that was the the biggest part was. What are people looking at to determine if I know what I'm doing? Um, and that's always been a part of my question is like, how are we evaluating what success looks like, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a company, um, whatever it may be. It's always a question. And if you can't measure it, I probably shouldn't be doing it, in my opinion. And then after a few years as a teacher, you moved into administration. What did that transition look like? And did that come out of you know, you talked about how is success measured? Did you become an administrator to kind of start making change in that realm? Yes and no. I mean, I thought that, you know, I, I loved the interaction with kids. Um, the interaction with adults, quite different, right? Um, and quite <laughs> honestly, I take the interaction with kids over the interaction with adults on most days. Uh, but now you're, you're coaching people, right, uh, from all walks of life. And from all experiences and, and their career experiences. And so I knew going in, I was fairly young. I had only been teaching three years before I moved into administration. And then I knew there was going to be a challenge of, I've got these people that have been, this is their whole career, 25, 30 years. And they're going to be wondering what, what right do I have to suggest anything to, um, to improve their craft, right? Um, but you always face that. You face that when you're a freshman on the team. You face that, you know, when you're a rookie. All, all of those things are going to come in, come into question. And it's, I think you, you have to prove yourself. You have to work hard. You have to to take some lumps. And when you screw up, you say, hey, that was a bad decision. That was a bad choice. And I apologize. I learned that pretty quickly. When you screw up, just just say, look, look, I made a mistake on that decision. Um, and nine percent of the time, that 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 took care of it, and there was trust gain. So. That was the biggest thing is immediately going to adults and trying to to mediate and to coach and to trust and all those things wrapped into one. So then you you learned how to be an administrator. You're figuring out how to go from classroom of kids to a boardroom of or conference room of teachers. Um, and then you're transitioning into higher leadership um, for whole school districts as a superintendent. And then you're making a transition to the other side into consulting. So what was the impetus for that change? Uh, honestly, it was a, a big old punch of adversity. Um, you know, my goal was to be a superintendent. I had a goal to be a superintendent um, by the time I was 40. And I missed it by two years. And there's no real reason. I just It was just a good round number, right? Um, but I got my first my first superintendency. And I am a change agent. Like I, I cannot be a guy that just steers the ship. Like I've, I've learned that about myself and I have to just lean into that. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not going to be somebody that's like, Hey, just don't just come in and make no sudden movements. Like that ain't me. I ain't your guy. Um, so in the midst of COVID is, is when I, I took over in uh, the superintendency in a school district here in Texas. And uh, it was hard to, to make connections. I'm brand, I'm the only thing that's new. Right. Um, and, you know, ultimately when your ethics 
and what your release systems are for students and what's in their best interest don't align with with some of the people that you're um, you're trying to guide the ship with, then it's not for you. And ultimately, um, I couldn't I couldn't be a part of something that I didn't believe in um, because I'm always going to do what's in the best interest of kids. And even to the detriment of, of at that time, my job. Right. So it was kind of a, a punch in the face where I had risen through the ranks pretty quickly. But you get somewhere and you realize people don't want change. Uh, regardless of what they say they want, they don't want change. Um, they want status quo because status quo is comfortable and, and you know what to expect, right? So uh, I'm just, I wasn't a good fit. Um, but through that and through some of the other work, you know, I got a great opportunity to jump over into the private sector and I've got young kids. And so it was, it was a great opportunity that never saw coming quite like teaching, right? <laughs> never saw coming. Uh, I'm a risk taker and, um, you know, I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? Right? All I can tell me is no, you suck and you're fired. Well, I've already heard that before. So, you know, there's no risk. Um, but I thought it was going to be an opportunity for me to continue to be creative and invent some things, create some things, some programming, have a different lens on, on helping students, on helping teachers, on helping school districts. And it's been that. It's been exactly that with um, less red tape and less less headache from checking all the boxes and making everybody happy and being the politician that a lot of the superintendents are required to do. So you mentioned you're, you're a person who is a change agent. You can't sit back and just accept the status quo. You're okay with being confronted with the risks. I mean, and you said you really discovered that about yourself. Where do you think that comes from? Because that's not something that's, that's within everyone. Do you think there's a place where that came from? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I really don't know. I, I think that I think I've, I've been blessed to be around people that um, have been successful and have shared how they think about problem solving. Right. Um, and then I've had mentors that have showed me some of the some of the gaps that, that we face, particularly in education. There's a lot of gaps, needless gaps, in my opinion. Um, and once I figured out how to think about, you know, what people need and what people are expecting, it, it really clicked for me, right? I'm like, oh, we're not doing this not because it can't be done. We're doing this because either we like comfort, we like the status quo, it's a lot of work, or we, we think it's a lot of work, or eh, nobody's going to go for that. There's all of these reasons that really aren't true of why we can, why we can or can't do something, uh, particularly in education. So once I started making some headway, it just kind of clicked and that just now that's that's who I am. I just I try to find something that we can offer that we've never offered and, and make those things happen. So I've uh, been pretty successful so far with that. But um, it's, it's a great time to be a part of, this, of stuff like that, where you're just you're constantly trying to evolve and figure out how do we do this just a little bit better. And then one of the ways you're doing that currently as you started the Path Forward podcast, where you're actually sitting down with folks embedded in education, embedded in education administration, and you're talking with them, talking through the issues, the gaps, figuring out solutions. What was the inspiration for starting that show? And uh, and how has been growing that show and the outcomes of the show been so far? Once again, a uh, total accident. Um, you know, <laughs> Sensing a pattern here. Yeah, exactly. So I fall into a lot of uh, accidents that turn out to be good things, right? Um, 
so when I started the superintendency in, in that school district, we didn't have much of anything for communication to, to parents, to families, to students, to our, our business partners. We didn't have business partners. There was just a lot of need for how can we communicate better and how can we showcase? And for me, coming in the middle of COVID, you know, I couldn't do the typical, you know, 90, 90 day, you know, introduction plan where I'm shaking hands and kissing babies. And it, I couldn't do that. Number one, we we're in the middle of something that I had to solve for because there's there were some gaps that had not been taken care of, um, but also because of the restrictions of COVID. So I love podcasts. It's how I consume. And I started doing the research on it. And it's like, well, I'm not the only one consuming like this. This is how how everyone is beginning to consume, right? Um, your, your traditional media, your traditional news, that's no longer the preferred um, way to consume. And so I took that idea and I had done some work with uh, Podcast Architects, which a, a team out of uh, College Station. I had done some work on some projects when I was in another school district um, there at the Mays Business School and they're, they're renowned for innovation. And so I had some things uh, for a former district that I wanted to showcase and they happened to have a podcast uh, highlighting innovation there. I said, hey, I don't know you guys, but this may be something you're interested in. Can we maybe tag team on this? And so from that one thing, when I'm a superintendent, I said, hey, I really need a show to highlight my kids, our community. I need some help messaging. Um, and so the, the district show grew into, well, I've got some other superintendents I'm sure would like to collaborate. I'm a first year superintendent. Let me see if they want to jump on. So we, we had a, you know, just an idea at, at a conference, like, let's just sit down, throw the cameras up. Let me see if I can get some of my friends here and we'll just talk shop, right? And that's how kind of the path forward was born and um, never really looked back. And it's been, I mean, unexpected. I, I never wanted to host. That was not, that was never the idea. I just wanted something for our district to start. And then I really started to enjoy it. And, um, you know, for me, having superintendents who typically have to be very guarded at what they say, and it's a political position, you say one thing wrong, and, you know, it's, it's a nightmare. So getting them to loosen up and seeing their personalities. I mean, it, it's, I have a great time with it. It's, um, it's been a blessing for me because I get to stay very, very well connected to what's going on in schools and the pain points and, and how can we help solve those pain points. I mean, you just said that you never wanted to be in a host, but from what I've observed, you're, you're a really natural host. You make guests feel comfortable. Um, and like you're saying, it's especially around, I mean, issues that they're tackling. And these are people who are in important roles, political roles. So, I mean, do you feel like that came naturally to you, even though you never envisioned being a host for yourself? Or is that something that, you know, you feel like you worked up over time um, and kind of learned how to do it? I mean, it's a little bit of both, you know, I mean, um, you try to just emulate some things that you see as I was consuming. Um, and some of it is you, you get a feel for when people begin to be comfortable. Right. And it's a lot of my guests I know right now, now I'm in this, it's our third year and, you know, I've had some repeat guests, so I know these folks very well. Um, but I'm also adding a bunch of new guests and I've started to add in a lot of business leaders and people in the corporate world. Because that was the idea from the get-go is how do we merge this? Like, this is ridiculous that you got two sides that need each other very, very much. And yet we can't figure out how to communicate and how to construct together. Uh, and there's really no reason for it. This time, effort, that's really the only reason. Um, so to hear the perspective from the business side, 
from the workforce side, and then hear the superintendents with what their struggles are. And I think we could probably do this together. I mean, I don't think, I know we could. So hearing that and, and, and being able to take both of those, those realms and kind of merge them to whatever my style is. I like to make people laugh. I, I don't <laughs> like it when it's too stiff because I want them to feel comfortable. You know, I, I want to have a good time too. I don't want it to be just like uh, brutal and we're just like pulling our teeth like it's a, you know, PBS at, at two in the morning, right? That's not what I want. So um, I try to make them have fun. I try to make them laugh. Sometimes I try to get them to say something that I know I have to edit later, but um, that's all <laughs> part of it for me is, is I want them to enjoy, right? And I want other people to see that guests are, are enjoying themselves on the show because then it just creates, you know, more opportunity. What was the reception like when you started putting these conversations out there? I mean, it seems like a pretty new thing to me in terms of like getting these superintendents, getting administrators to sit down um, and really open up the conversation on finding solutions. What was the reception like? Were people a little bit hesitant at first or willing to willing to get these conversations out there? It was a mix, you know, because like I said, we're guarded um, in that position. You have to be a little bit cautious and guarded. So for those that didn't know me and um, knew of me, but, you know, we didn't have a relationship, they're a little hesitant because, uh, you know, am I going to take care of them? What, what is this? What questions are you going to ask me? You're going to be asking me some political questions. You know, you ask me about rezoning, you know, which is a nightmare when uh, for parents and all that stuff. Like, so I had to really get a few under the belt so that everyone was like, all right. This, this guy's going to take care of us and make sure that we're, unless they want to address. And I've got some that like, no, no holds barred. We're going to, we're going to talk vouchers. We're going to talk school choice, all of the, you know, finance. They want to dive into it. So ask me whatever you want. Uh, so you get a range, but um, I knew that it had to be a safe place for them to come and talk and, and cut loose a little bit and know that there were no ulterior motives other than just to share information and have a good time. So one of the ways that uh, education is bridging with private sector, bridging with corporations, and you're trying to close the gap is through a method called P3, uh, which is a new innovation in education. P3 stands for public-private partnerships. Can you explain you know, what that means to the common man and what's, what's the benefit for education? So can I explain it? Uh, probably not, because the, the saying is in P3 is if you've done one P3, then you've done one P3, because they're all very, very different. Um, yeah. What attracted me to, to P3 was the opportunity to look at how we make things happen um, using some different resources, assets, and avenues, because traditionally school districts are, are pretty locked in on what they can do for funding, capital projects, um, programming. And if you can't get a bond passed, well, you can't get financed and you don't have the option. You're, you're stuck. You're essentially stuck. Right. Um, but this public private partnership has opened the door for the private sector to come in and look at assets, look at, you know, districts and, and how they can help them um, build out their capital projects. And it's, it's from everything from their, their buildings to their, their the sustainability to security uh, I mean, it's really anything and everything under the sun. I mean, right now there's a big boom in teacher housing, right? Because there's a teacher shortage and everybody's fighting for for staff. And it's not cheap to live in a lot of places in this country right now. So you got a teacher making 50 grand and the cost of living is, you know, 500 grand for a thousand uh, square foot house. It doesn't add up. Um, so the the private side has come in and said, hey, these are, these are some different mechanisms that 
um, some other countries have used and some other uh, public entities have begun using. Why would we not you know, look at it for K-12? Now it's very different. And so it's gonna take a little while for the education side to really understand why wow, this, is, this is very different than anything we've had to do. But the innovation is not only in how it's procured, but just think of all of the different entities that you now have access to, right? You, you could do different internships. You could have some programming as a part of a P3 structure, right? Because you, now you have these partners, which you probably have never had in the past, and they all have assets. They all have expertise. They all have a stake in the game to make a school district successful, right? Uh, so I think it's not only leveraging what can we build or what can we create, but also how do we leverage all of this expertise on the private side to enhance our programming for our students? Uh, that's what I get excited about. And, you know, I think school districts underestimate what business is willing to do um, other than just write a check or cut a ribbon. And we've got some great partners and they're willing to do whatever um, just because they love it. So. Uh, been very blessed to work with a great group of people from from different uh, consultancies all over the country and the world, and um, learned a ton in a very short time. And especially if you can, if that education district can start working with local or, or state consultancies, I mean, those people also have a stake in the game. Their community, uh, it needs help. Oh, Their absolutely. kids are going to those schools. So getting more people involved and finding that solution, uh, it brings benefit for everyone involved. That, I mean, 100%. I mean, you know, ideally you'd want your, your K-12 and your, your higher ed and your municipal side to all work together on projects, right? Because they're impacting everything together, whether you realize it or not. Um, they all have a vested interest on, all right, well, if we don't have a, a sustainable workforce, none of us are going to be doing very well. So um, some of these projects are, are really, really will blow, I mean, just blow your mind of, of how they're making things happen. Well, I have a segment I do each episode called Quote on a Quote. All this means is I'm going to read a quote and you give me your thoughts. Far away. This quote is from John Seeley Brown and the quote reads, conversation is a catalyst for innovation. I, I would agree with that. Um, I would say that it's more than the conversation. Um, it's the access to information through the relationships that happen as a result of conversation. Um, because one of the things that is a big missing piece, right? And what I always, what gives me, what I always want to find out, I want to know why the decisions are made, right? I want to know why are we doing it this way? Or why do we make that decision? Or how come we can do this and not that? Um, and through conversation and understanding where people are coming from and how, how they're working through problems, you get an inkling and you get an understanding of how they're thinking about problems. Uh, to me, that's where the, the true learning comes in. So, I mean, absolutely. The more conversation you have, the more learning you're going to have, right? And if you can take that and it builds a relationship to those conversations, I mean, really the sky's the limit. So. One place where relationships are needed uh, big time is in athletics. So you mentioned you played basketball at the collegiate level, and then you coached at the collegiate level. Um, and I know sports is embedded in Texas culture, just like it is in Ohio, my home state. So, I mean, what do you feel like the skills, the mindset gained from athletics? Do you think that transferred into your professional career? I assistant coach at the college level as well. I mean, that's something I still think brings tremendous value to 
you know, the players and also it brings value to me. I feel like that can transfer over to my career the way I interact with people big time. So, I mean, do you feel the same way? Oh, I mean, a hundred percent. I One of the things I've always believed, I've always told, you know, told any administrators that either I was leading or, or colleagues, like sports and coaching is, is how you, how ideally you'd want to be growing teachers or growing anybody for that matter. Right. Because, the feedback is is very regular, right? It's very specific. Um, there's a there's a reason behind it, and then shortly after that, there is a chance to perform, right? And then there, then there's an autopsy, and you reflect and you take a look at the film, and and you go through that cycle, and that is how people learn. If you have these these performance you know evaluations that only happen once a blue moon, once a quarter, once a year, there's nobody getting better because of that, right? That's just not happening. So. You know, those little micro coaching sessions that happen in every sport, that's why you can see growth and it's pretty tangible on a field or in a gym, in a pool, whatever. Um, it's critical. I think the other part of sports that goes uh, under-recognized is uh, it really taught me how to, how to love practice, how to love the work, how to love the stuff that nobody sees, you know, the 5 a.m.s, you know, the weight room after, after a game. Um, missing, sacrificing spring break or an event because you're you're in there putting in the work, and um, it, that's not something that you learn most of the time on your own, right? You, you, but to embrace the 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 suck, the practice, right, the, the hard stuff that nobody sees, it's only there for your your benefit to get better uh, and the team's benefit. Um, that is critical uh, because. It, if you don't do that part and you don't love that part, man, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to make it through when, when things are adverse and and you have, you know, times where, where the budget's lean or get laid off or whatever. Those are the times that sustain you through some of that. So, I mean, sports is just a microcosm of, uh, of life and of how you want to be coached and, and how you should grow. I think. Yeah. A thousand percent agree. A thousand percent agree. So you've started the Path Forward podcast. You have many other ventures. You're learning the way to bridge the gaps between education and private sector. What would your advice be for a person who believes they have a vision for a company, a product, or a podcast like you've created yourself? What should their first step be? Um, get started. Uh, do one thing, right? Even if it's just learning. If you're a curious person, you have an advantage. Uh, I am extremely curious about a lot of different things and I will go dive in head first and, and learn as much as I can, but just, just take one step. You don't have to, if you're trying to start a podcast, you don't need to be a, a lighting expert and a, you know, the, all the right equipment or what to say, just do, just pick one thing. Like, you know what, this week, this month, I'm going to get really good. I'm going to understand this, this piece really well. Right. Um, and if you can just do that, and, and it, it'll it'll grow and it will exponentially grow because the next thing will come up. Uh, you're like, man, I've got this. I've got this down. Let me move on and get a little bit better. Now my lighting needs to be a little bit better. Now my socials and how they're aligning need to be better, right? The timing and, and how to get likes and all that stuff, you know, comes into play for podcasting or social media or what have you. There is no reason any, any longer to not know, right? Because you can pretty much learn anything it, that you want to uh, either online or on YouTube or on all these different platforms. 
somebody's helping and giving away from free most of the time. You may have to spend some time searching through it and filtering, you know, what's who's legit and who's not, but you can learn pretty much anything you want to um, with just some time investment. So invest time and just, just start, just, just give it a shot. You know, that's how, that's how all innovation starts, right? Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to take a chance, take a risk. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I know I've definitely felt that with, with so many things, just get started, put that first query into Google, even like, how do I blank? And then the world opens up from there. Oh man, you should see, like, I, I do that all the time. And, and a lot of times the grammar's not even right. Like Google's like, dude, you sure you were an educator? Because what you just put in this box, like nobody really put that in there. Right. There's like, you could have said this in three words. Um, but we're always doing that. Right. It's a, uh, that's what it's for. And so you got to utilize your tools. Um, but no, man, this is good. It's good. You started this. And, and what was the, what was the impetus? What, what was the, you knew, all right, I'm doing it. <laughs> the reasons I got started. So I was reading a lot of business biographies, stuff like shoe dog from Phil, by Phil Knight. And I mean, I was loving those stories. I was loving hearing how people had an idea and they went after it and they built, they built huge things, amazing things. But I thought the drawback was, you know, I'm reading this from somebody who did this 50 years ago or some 40 years ago, 60 years ago, whatever it was. And I'm not getting the real time experience. And then even in those books like that, you're getting the highlight reel. You're getting, well, then we made it to, you know, 10 million. Okay, how did you get to the first $100? So I was like, what if I can bring the stories of entrepreneurs like that who are doing it? right now her doing it with today's technology with today's hurdles with today's challenges and give those stories now instead of having to wait for them to hopefully write a book about it 50 years down the road so i wanted to bring those stories to people now and you know i'm young in my career i know i have a lot to learn and so if people can learn along with me and hear the experiences of people like you who are trying to bridge education private and trying to get those conversations out to more people. And so if I can learn with those people, I know other people probably can too. So that was the impetus. That's the goal uh, trying to fulfill still. I always will. I always ask people from the private side and, and, and the education side, but more so the private side, like what was your first big bomb? Like your first, like, ah, man, I just screwed that up from, from start to finish, you know, particularly like leaders, leaders or entrepreneurs, and, and having them talk through that first one that was just a big miss, right? Because you get to hear how they internalize that failure, how they like, all right, well, I got to quit crying about it and get up and, and figure out how to get it done. Because um, you'll have those, right? You're going to have those big misses. Are you going to get fired or laid off or it's not going to be a good fit? Um, and so hearing other people that are, that are successful go, man, I just destroyed that from the time that I started with it. Um, so I'm going to ask you, but I know we're, we're on time, but what's your, your young career? What's the big miss you've had? Oh boy. That's a good question. I would say I want, I want to go to coaching because, you know, I coach college, college rugby, and I played rugby for a long time. I started when I was in fifth grade and I played up until about a year ago. So it's, I mean, it was almost 10, 11 straight years without a break playing rugby fall and spring. And so when I got into coaching, I was like, you know, I know, I know what, I know the sport, I know what this is. And I think I was a little bit 
cocky about it and didn't think I had to approach it with any sort of tact or as like a student of coaching. Uh, Uh, You know, I was like, okay, if I can just pass on what I know, then, you know, the players will be good too. And if I, and I guess one of the things I had to discover first was a coach is much different from a captain. You can't instill can't instill energy into a team the same way a captain can, and you shouldn't as a coach. And you can't teach the way a captain could the same way you can as a coach. So, I mean, over these last couple of years as I've been coaching, I've, I've had to kind of step back and realize, you know, I don't, I don't know what coaching is. I know what it is to be a player. I know what it is to try to get the players around me to, to play harder and to learn. Uh, But I don't know what it is to coach yet. So that was kind of a gut check where it's like, Okay, you thought you knew everything, but you've only done the playing. You don't know anything as a coach. Um, And I'm doing a disservice to the players I coach if I don't take that role seriously. Um, Because they know everything they need to do as players. They have their own captains who know what they need to do as captains. Oh, yeah. And they're looking for something completely different from me. So that's been a challenge. And... You know, that's something I'm still learning and trying to get better at day to day. But yeah, that's been a big one so far for me. Well, man, the fact that you can just share that and, and own that, dude, that's like 99% of the battle, right? And and nail on the head. It's a totally different role. And uh, the transition from player to coach is, is not always a smooth one, right? Because you're used to doing things a certain way. Um, and you, you learned how you were coached. And sometimes those ways don't transfer to the to the next generation, the new team, or whatever the case may be. Um, I had to learn that one the hard way a couple of times myself, even even with teachers, right? Not not just athletes. Um, not everybody wants to be the change agent. Not everybody wants to go 100 miles an hour. Um, just because I like to do that, it, it doesn't resonate, um, you know, with everyone. So kudos to you, man, for, for I know it's sprung that on you, but that's a <laughs> heck of a reflection right there. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's a good job, man. Good job on that. Yeah. Yeah, I got to learn. Well, Rick, really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, thanks so much for sharing your journey. It's my pleasure, man. And, and we're going to reciprocate and, um, you know, have some fun on my end, too. And uh, this was this was awesome. Uh, very, very well prepared. Very um, strategic with your questions. You got drew out some stuff. Um, so it was it was my pleasure. <laughs> and you're going to have a lot of success uh, with bees for business. So very cool, man. Thanks for having me, John. Thanks, Rick. Looking forward to your side. If you'd like to connect with Rick, you can do so on LinkedIn at Dr. Rick Fernandez. And I encourage you to check out the Path Forward podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can leave a rating on wherever you're listening to and connect with the show on social media at B is for Business on LinkedIn and Facebook and B is for Business show on Instagram and X. If you'd like to recommend a guest, shoot me a message on any of the social media platforms, and I'd love to have them on. And as always, have a great Monday, everyone.
Thanks for listening to B is for Business. Intro music is by The Revolution. Outro music is by Reveal. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. B is for Business is a trademark of Bison LLC. Remember to like, subscribe, and share B is for Business across all platforms. Thank you.